I want to preach from the first two chapters of Matthew over the next four weeks as we head toward Christmas. And the first part of chapter one is this stimulating genealogy of Jesus. And I'm going to read it. And so you pray for me as I pronounce these names. All scripture is inspired by God, isn't it? So even genealogy, uh, we tend to skip over when you get to long lists of names. And yet even in those names, there can be an important message or God wouldn't have put it there. So Matthew 1, 1 through 17, the sermon is entitled, Who Are You? Because these 17 verses tell us who Jesus is. And Matthew is using these verses to convince the Jewish people that the audience that he's writing to that this is the Christ, this is the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for for a thousand years. Here's his bloodline. Here's the evidence that the Christ came from the, what is the stem of Jesse in the song we just, in the hymn we sang? Jesse, the father of David. So Jesus is the son of David. Here's evidence. Matthew 1, 1 through 17. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Here we go. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amenadab, Amenadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab. You remember who Rahab is? Boaz the father of Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, Jesse the father of David the king. And then come thou long expected Jesus. I think uh, we just sang, or lo how rose there blooming, uh, we sang about the stem of Jesse. David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Who's the wife of Uriah? Bathsheba. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram. Joram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. <clears throat> Incidentally, in the, in the year of King Uzziah, where's that? I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Isaiah, that's the opening verses of Isaiah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amos, Old Testament book. Amos, the father of Josiah, good king Josiah. Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. After the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, Abiud the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, Achim the father of Eliud, Eliud the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Mathan. Are you getting excited? Mathan the father of Jacob. Here we go. Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. And then Matthew summarizes this design. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. From David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. From the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Matthew is showing how God brought Jesus in, in a specific plan. Three paragraphs, 17, um, 17 verses, 14 names in each paragraph. 
3 times 14 is 42 generations from son of David, Abraham, to the Christ. It's not a coincidence. It's not an accident. God did it by design with a specific plan. And here's proof. Let's pray. God, as we come to consider these, these verses where we see Jesus' family tree, his genealogy, it just shows us how Jesus came into a very real world and a very real family, just like all of us, and had kinsmen, fathers and grandfathers. And you lived as we lived and experienced all that we experience. Because of that, you can identify with our needs and our hurts and our sorrow. So help us, Lord, to worship you because of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. When you go anywhere new for the first time or when anyone comes to meet you, what are some of the first questions that you ask them? Who are you? Where are you from? Who are your people? Who are your parents? Who are your, who are your grandparents? Oh, I know them. We, we want to identify people by those that we're familiar with. I met some folks in the early service today and asked them, where are you from? You know, and, and, and eventually, who, who are your family? Who, who are you related to? Um, when I go to ABAC, I'm known as Dr. Rowe's husband. When Susan and I go to Mercer, we're known as Catherine's parents. When I go to Decatur, my home, I'm known as Bill and Bernice's bouncing baby boy and Brenda's baby brother. You're known by your people. And so Matthew is identifying Jesus, as true as that is for us, it's a hundred times more true for the Jewish people. They want to know who you are. And we know that the Christ is supposed to come through a particular bloodline. And so Matthew is showing the Jewish people that this Messiah, this Christ that you have waited for for a thousand years is here. His name is Jesus. And here's his heredity. Here's, here's his line, his lineage to show you where he came from and who he is. The first verse of, Genesis, of Matthew 1 reminds me of Genesis because it says in Matthew 1.1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The word for genealogy there in the Greek is actually the word Genesis. It means, I, I couldn't find a single translation that translated it Genesis. It means origin, birth, and it reminds me of the Old Testament book of Genesis where God is explaining where everything came from and how it occurred and how it began. And so here is Matthew saying, all that happened in the Old Testament is happening again in the New Testament. This is a new Genesis. It is a new birth. It is a new life made possible because this Jesus I'm going to tell you about is the Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He is a Jew from the lineage of David as the Messiah was supposed to be, the house and lineage of David. And so that's why he went back to Bethlehem to be counted because Bethlehem is the city of David. And all the prophecies about the Messiah, Matthew is going to show, have been fulfilled in this man named Jesus. So let's break this, these three paragraphs down, these three 
sections of 14 generations each. And I have an outline in your bulletin this morning. The first part is the inclusive beginnings of Jesus. And when I read this, I want you to realize, this occurred to me this week, that Jesus is the only child who's ever been born in the history of the world that could select his own family. He's the only person that's ever been born who could handpick, he could cherry pick who he wanted his parents to be, his grandparents, his great-grandparents, all the way back. He, he could have chosen anyone, and yet this is whom he chose. And what I want you to see in this first group of 14 are the names of some women. There are women here. Look at them, verse 3. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Verse 5, Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. And then in verse 6, David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. You know, if I were going to write my genealogy, a lot of you folks are interested in genealogy and in tracing back your family tree to see who your ancestors were. I mean, Ancestry.com is a huge website now. And it's fun to kind of figure out who your ancestors were. If I were going to write my family tree, I would have put some women in there who were known for their nobility and purity, for being famous, for being good and kind and pure. Women like Sarah, Abraham's wife, or Rebecca, Isaac's wife, or Rachel, Jacob's wife. But that's not who Matthew has in Jesus' genealogy. He has Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and the wife of Uriah. Who is Tamar? I don't think I've ever preached a sermon on Tamar and probably never will. Tamar is the woman whose husband died in the Old Testament and she wanted a child and none of her deceased husband's brothers would give her a child and so she seduced her father-in-law and became impregnated by him and had a child and that child's name was Perez. Uh, Tamar, uh, Tamar and Perez, the father of Hezron, it goes on and on. Tamar. And then there's Rahab. Do you remember who Rahab was? Do you remember the harlot in the promised land? When the spies came to spy out the promised land, she's the one who, who protected them and helped them escape and uh, because she sensed that God's hand was in this. And so she is in Jesus' family tree. And then there's Ruth. Do you remember the Old Testament story of Ruth? Ruth and uh, Naomi traveled to the... Ruth is in the land of, of Moab. And Naomi and Elimelech traveled to Moab because they hear there's food there and water and there's been a, a famine in their land. And Elimelech dies and... Um, Gracious, Ruth and uh, her husband dies, Malon and Kilion, husbands of Ruth and Orpah, I think is Ruth's sister's name. And Ruth says, I'm going to go back home, Naomi, with you. So what's significant about that is that Ruth is not a Jewish person. She is from Moab. And then there's the wife of Uriah. They won't even call her by name Bathsheba. And so they use a circumlocution. They use another name to refer to her because her reputation is so spotty they can't even bring themselves to, to say Bathsheba, the woman who committed adultery with David, King David. So you've got two women who are Gentiles in Jesus' family line. You've got Rahab 
and Ruth, and then you've got three women who were notorious sinners. You've got Tamar and Rahab and the wife of Uriah. So you've got Gentiles, you've got sinners, all in Jesus' genealogy. Not at all what I would have written. And so why did, why did God do it this way? Why did God include Gentiles and sinners in Jesus' family tree? Because I think God wanted the world to see that his love is bigger than the Jewish nation. His love is inclusive. It, it covers every nation. And his mercy is not extended just to the people who were good and pious, but to the people who were sinners too. God's love is greater than our sin. It is greater than our nation because in Jesus' genealogy, it includes everybody of all walks of life, all stripes, all colors, all kinds, all backgrounds. If you could come up with your own pedigree, what would you give yourself? It would be something honorable, wouldn't it? And yet here is the child who could have chosen, the only child who chose his own family has all kinds of skeletons in his closet. I sure wouldn't have put my skeletons out there for everybody to see. But here Jesus, born in a real human family with folks from all over the world, with notorious sinners, showing how real and human his family was. And then comes the second list of 14 names from King David, which was the zenith of Israel's history. If you talk to any Jewish person, they always point back to King David as the golden years. That's when things were the best our nation has ever experienced. But from there, it kind of tapers down until the children of Israel are captured by Babylon and carried off into in deportation out to Babylon. They're carried off into slavery. Why? Why did they fall apart and get carried off in chains? Well, we know the religion was flourishing. But what happened was Israel just quit caring about each other. And the clue to that is the name Amos in verse 10. Amos, do you remember the Old Testament prophet Amos? Amos was crying out to the children of Israel because their religion was so superficial. They, they said they loved everybody, but they didn't really take care of anybody. In verse 10... Of, uh, here Amos is mentioned and Amos is the one who wrote hear this you who trample the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end that buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals the Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob surely I will not forget any of their misdeeds God punishes the children of Israel because they quit caring for each other and Amos was the one crying out for the poor and the widow and the orphan just as Laura Maxwell was doing here this morning for the, the orphans and the foster children right here in Tiff County. When church is nothing more than just superficial going through the motion, when we look like nutcrackers but don't actually, actually crack any nuts, when, when we just are there for looks but so superficial we never really function, God will punish us. And the children of Israel were carried off into captivity in Babylon. Her religion had never been any bigger than this day, but it had never meant any less than it did. But God didn't 
give up on them or forget about them. Because in verse 12 on to verse 16 is the third list of 14 names. And God begins to prepare them to bring them back home from Babylon, back home to the promised land, and prepare them for the coming of Jesus. The father, Nathan, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called Messiah, Christos, the Christ. All 42 generations of people were looking for and anticipating and waiting for one thing. They were looking for the coming Messiah, the promised Christ. They were waiting and they kept this genealogy straight in order that they might keep track of the one who was to come. And they kept looking for him and expecting and hoping. And John the Baptist came on the scene. And they came to John the Baptist and said, Are you the one? Are you the one who is promised? Or shall we look for another? And John the Baptist said, No, I'm not the Christ. There is one coming who's greater than I, one whose lashes I'm not even worthy to stoop and tie the shoes, the lashes of his shoes. So John the Baptist wasn't the one. And Matthew was proving to the Jewish people that Jesus has come. 14, 14, 14. You've been looking, you've been waiting, you've been anticipating. Here he is. I love the passage in Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5. Because it says, in the fullness, when did Jesus come? In the fullness of time. At the, the word fullness means perfect. It means complete. It means fulfilled. Pleroma. God sent forth his son into the world to be born of a woman born under the law to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. You've been waiting. When did Jesus come in the fullness of time when everything was just right, when everything was perfect, when all these different, different points came together and intersected in the perfect time Jesus came born of a woman. And he's in the family line of Joseph. Verse 16. Now, if you stop and think about it, Jesus isn't actually Joseph's son, is he? Jesus is the Son of God. Mary was, the Holy Spirit came upon Mary and she was with child. And so Joseph isn't his earthly father. He's his stepdad, I suppose. He adopted Jesus, and this is how he adopted him. It says, in verse 16, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called the Christ. In verse 25, Joseph has a dream. In verse 21, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. So when Joseph calls this son of God Jesus, which means God saves, for he will save his people from their sins. And then verse 25 he knew her not until she had born a son, and he called his name Jesus. So when Joseph names this baby, according to Jewish law, he is adopting this child into his line, into his family, into his genealogy. And so Jesus is the son of Joseph by adoption into the line of David and Abraham. So what is, what is Matthew trying to tell us in these opening verses of his first chapter? He's telling us that Jesus came according to a plan 
according to a design. It's not coincidence. He is of the line of David. He is of the lineage of Abraham. He is Jewish. He is everything that was prophesied in the Old Testament, everything to be the Christ. This is it. He's the one. But Matthew is also telling us that by incorporating Gentiles and sinners into Jesus' line, that, that bloodlines don't really matter to God anymore. The Jews thought that the only way you could have a relationship with God was to be a Jew. But God's saying it's not important to be Jewish anymore. What matters is not who your father or grandfather may have been. What matters to God is who you are. Who are you? And so the opening verses of John's gospel say, For as many as received him, to them he gave power to become children of God, born not of blood, but of God. It wipes out the Jewish bloodline and all the importance of the Jewish heritage. What matters to God is your faith. So what we learn from these opening verses in Matthew's gospel is, first of all, Jesus was born into a human family, a very real human family, had all kinds of skeletons in the closet, and yet there they are for all the world to see because Jesus is real. And he came in the flesh to live among us, to experience what we experience. It, the prince became the pauper to live among us and to know what we have to face. And when he came into this real human family, it was a genesis. It was a new beginning where new life is brought out from death, where light is brought out of darkness, where everything is new. Matthew 1, 1 through 17 reminds us that Israel had a history. Their golden days leading up to King David, their punishment leading down to the deportation, their restoration culminating in the birth of new life in Jesus Christ. And what matters to God is whether or not you have a relationship with him through Jesus yourself. How many of you know who your great-great-grandfather was? Your great-great-grandmother. Some of you actually do. What about your great-great-great-grandfather? Some of you have done your genealogies, but not many of you. Not many of you. You know, I know who my grandparents are, and I can do Ancestry.com and find out who my great-grandparents, maybe great-great-grandparents but beyond that, it gets kind of sketchy. One day, not too many years off, our children may remember us, our great-grandchildren may remember us, but will our great-great-grandchildren, will our great-great-great-grandchildren remember us? Maybe not. Well, what matters even more than if we're remembered by our great-great-grandchildren, what matters most is, will God? Will he remember you? Not based on your earthly genealogy, but on your adoption into the heirs of God. Children born not of blood, but of God. He wants you to be his sons and daughters. And he's made it possible for you to be adopted into his, his family through Jesus and his death on the cross. I hope you know him. 
And more importantly, I hope he knows you. Let's bow together. Father, your son Jesus came into our world, into a real human family, where there were Gentiles and sinners and men and women and good kings and bad kings and all kinds of folks, all stripes, all backgrounds. Because when you came into this world, you didn't beam down on a spaceship. But you were born in a family to grow up, to learn, to serve, to feel, to experience, to love, to be loved, and to give. So Father, help us this day to develop an appreciation for how you came into this world and how you lived and how you died and why you did so that we might be made sons and daughters through your death on the cross and we might have everlasting life whether our earthly family remembers us. What matters most is will our heavenly father know us as his sons and daughters and bring us home. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.